welcome to the Artist Appeals. This is Erin Sparler and I'm your host. In the Artist Appeals, we interview artists, crafters, photographers, and business professionals about the business of art. I hope you'll join us and enjoy the show. In this episode of the Artist Appeals podcast, we're going to talk to a composer, a keyboardist, a organist, a motivational presenter, and an entrepreneur. This gentleman has been playing piano and organ professionally for over 40 years, and he's written a book called Focus on Your Light, Finding the Spark to Forge Your Own Path in Business about the business of audio and creating a life in the creative fields. He's the entrepreneur, the owner, and CEO of Progressive Enterprises, a sound studio in Elizabethtown, PA. Please join me in welcoming Joe Trojak. So I'd love for you to just introduce yourself just a little bit and tell me about your background. How did you come to be an audio expert? Mm, Wow. The earliest memory I have was when I was about four years old, and I used to love the way airplanes would take off from Harrisburg International Airport. And these were the old propeller airplanes. And did you live near the airport? We lived one mile away. Oh, so they went right over top of you? No, they went parallel. So we could look over, and as they went and took off into the sunset, they would flange down, and it just was amazing. It was like a symphony. Then after that- You liked airplane noise. I liked the sound of old propellers flanging off of each other. That's what <laughs> caught my name, my attention. Neat. The next thing was I would go to church and be amazed by the pipe organ. Yeah. And then what I would do is I um, tried to crawl into it <laughs> to figure out what was going on. How old were you? Like three and or four? I was seven. <laughs> I could see my kids doing Mr. that. Mr. Mansky picked me up, sat me down and said, these are just tacked up. It's not really strong enough for you to crawl on. <laughs> but he never forgot that. And after a year of begging, I started piano lessons. And, but sound has always fascinated me. Yeah. And then once I found, you know, the pipe organ, that was amazing. And I used to practice on an out-of-tune piano and a pipe organ going, there's got to be something more to this. And when I saw synthesizers, I freaked out. Yeah. So you and, play the organ, right? Yes. That's I phenomenal did, I did skill. 20 years as a church organ. Primarily, most of it was at the Newcomen Army Depot. Oh. So I played both Catholic Mass, Protestant service. Uh-huh. And um, then 96, they needed to do some downsizing. I understood. I mean, there were churches nearby. Yeah. So um, I then ventured to play some other churches. About 2001, it was, it was long enough. I needed to take a break from it. So how many years was that? 20-some years. Wow. So it's just, it's neat to do. It's very moving at times, but very it powerful. really limits what you could do as far as time off when you want to travel and everything. So there's a oh, point. Yeah. yeah, it's like my wife would say, can we go to my sister? No. But next week, is, no. Every weekend, every, every holiday. Every weekend you had to be. So what I like doing now is I substitute because I know the full-time people need that break. Yeah, that makes so, so much yeah, sense. So. That's a great mm-hmm. little extra revenue. Yes. 
you know, one of the things we talk about in appeals and one of the things I always want to convey to artists is that you have to have multiple streams of revenue. Absolutely. Now you have this gorgeous studio. We're sitting in your studio. We're sitting in the control room, staring in this window at this amazing studio you've built. You want to talk just a little bit about how you built your business? Mm-hmm. Sure. I was at Hack and then Westchester between the two. I was studying business as my major. Okay. Started off as an accounting major until I saw the tax book. Didn't and like the numbers, I, huh? I, accounting too got <laughs> so much more difficult than accounting one. And it's like, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. But management, getting people to work together, I like that. Yeah. So I switched to management, went to Westchester, but it was actually in Hack that I came up with the name Progressive Enterprises. I knew I wanted to be involved in doing anything from commercial jingles to recording bands and creating original music. I, I like to compose. Yeah. So at Westchester, I started to fine tune it. We had a studio I could work at. Graduated from Westchester with a degree in business management, an unofficial minor in composition, because oh. I was always hanging out in the music building, okay. doing things. And then went right to Lebanon Valley College. They waved me out of recording one. Let me nice. do recording That's two out. and three. And basically learn how to operate a studio. So this is 1985, and what was happening at that point, we were just at the edge of digital recording starting and MIDI electronic music, music instrument digital interface recording with computers and keyboards, which was perfectly designed for what I did. Yeah. So I jumped on that, and then we started the business in 85. Yeah. Slowly did sound effects for radio stations, uh, did a couple soundtracks. Yeah. And um, then when I was at Lebanon Valley College, John Yule said, this company starting as a cassette company, they need a mastering engineer. So my job was to transfer reel-to-reel tapes and everything into their one-inch system, and we duplicated cassettes. Oh, cool. And that's when I stumbled <laughs> upon Investor's Hotline. Oh, and that? Investor's Hotline was Joe Bradley out of ba- um, Baltimore. Uh-huh. He would get on the telephone and he would talk with the leading gurus of investing yeah. and really drill them for like 30 to 50 minutes. And then everything would be condensed down to 21 minutes. Yeah. And you would get four of these interviews, a hot tip. And this is before the internet. Right. And a printed synopsis. We had. Where did you guys publish that? Like It was published. Basically, he ran his operation out of Hunt Valley, Maryland. Uh-huh. He would do the recording on his his reel-to-reel deck in his office. And yeah. And he would have someone come to his home and edit. He calls me one day and goes, I need someone to do this. Um, do you want to move down here? I'm like, no. But I, bu- <laughs> I built this new studio. Maybe we could do it here. Yeah. And after a couple conversations, he trusted me to like go down, pick up his reel-to-reel editing machines. Yeah. And then come up here and I became his editor. And it takes conversations, right? It yes. takes storytelling. It takes connectivity. And, you know, that actually is a perfect segue to the studio on how you built it. When I walked in here, you showed me those sequence of photographs of you building this studio. So you you built this from the ground up with by hand mm-hmm. with friends and family. And, you know, it looks like a barn, you guys. It looks mm-hmm. like it's got multiple rooms. He's, you walk in and you've got this lounge with the coffee and a place to crash. And you've got a bathroom, a full bathroom for the bands that come There's in a there. shower. It's handicap accessible because we knew 
That was important. Oh, yeah? And yeah, I was um, thinking ahead. That, that does come to play for a lot of people you know, staying over. We have a few clients that do come in wheelchairs. Yeah. And they appreciate, you know, the effort we went to make sure before yeah. that was even, like, considered, you know, something that well, was required. You know, some of the greatest artists out there, everybody grows older, right? Mm-hmm. And you want some of those greats. Why not accommodate them? And then you walk to the right and you've got this. You've got that room and this room. And how many rooms do you have? Okay, we have the main studio, which is a tracking room, which is very, fairly large. 20 by 20 with a 23-foot ceiling. We have mm-hmm. a small room to the side, which is we call the piano room because we have a quad grand piano in there. It's smaller, but it's great for acoustic guitar, guitar amps. Next to it, on the opposite side, we have we call the mic closet, but small closets are good for amps yeah, and, yeah. and solo singers sometimes. Got foam on the walls. Mm-hmm. Everything. Everything's, all, all of our, our main studio spaces, the main control room, and the main studio were designed by David Still of Environmental Acoustics. Oh, okay. So there was a lot. And the funny thing was, you know, my dad was pretty much hardcore construction. This is how you do things. And suddenly these drawings would come in, and then he would watch it going together, and it looks like the carpenters are drunk because <laughs> there's no parallel walls. Things are put at angles. but To break up sound. To, to break up the sound. And if you notice in our main studio area, Wherever there's glass, there's no glass across from. Oh, so that was important. Decrease the bounce. So there's minimize you know, your reflective surfaces and um, all that. So what was neat about the main studio, the way it came together, it's a great place to record drums. We're known for a great place to do basic recording, which is your drums, bass, guitar, and a scratch vocal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will just come here, do that, and then go home to a smaller studio, finish the rest of the project. There's other projects. We did one with Craig Bonner, which was the Halloween ball part one. We did everything here. Yeah. We did pre-production rehearsals. We did all the basics, all the overdubs, lots of guitar. I composed all the keyboard parts. He sang all of his parts. We had two ladies come in to sing. We call them the um, ghost singers because they always sounded, we made them sound like ghosts. And oh. on all the projects, so that really worked me. Yeah. And we when we mixed and did everything here. So sometimes that happens. And there's other situations where even when the Immersed Academy comes in to record students and the hack students come in to record their labs, they just record here. The mixing takes place somewhere else. Interesting. So really, you are an audio artist. Yes. And you've built this amazing studio to record your art. And... You talk about your partnerships with Hack and the students, and that's kind of how I got mm-hmm. introduced to you. Do you want to talk about your teaching a little sure. bit? Let me just say real quick. So we talked about art, and then we talk about product, right? And the product in art can be any number of things, right? So what are the products in, what are the main products in audio that you think you produce? Or you do produce. <laughs> the way to think about what we're doing is really a service. Yeah. You've got a song idea. You need something that re- needs to be recorded. We have the space. Welcome to our space. You're going to rent the time. And you're going to rent staff who know how to operate the space and encourage you to make the best possible recording. It's a right. service. It's very parallel to being a caterer. Oh, Interesting. Very much when you when you think about I have a wedding coming up next year I'm going to be playing 
And when I play at a wedding, I do hors d'oeuvres. Mm-hmm. I just play piano during that period. A DJ will take over afterwards when they want to do all the line dancing and all that stuff. Right. I'm there to give a live element mm-hmm. to make people feel like, ah, okay, the ceremony's over. It's time to start having fun. People are seeing each other or they're meeting for the first right. time. You're there to create a mood. And by playing live, though, it's still got something that's got action to it. People can tell there's something different. Yeah. Oh, that's, I remember that song because I play some jazz standards. I play some old oh, rock pieces, nice. depending upon what they need. And at the same time, there is someone who has made a cake. And the, the other thing I'm noticing at, the, at weddings now, no more cake. We're having whoopie pies. We're having donuts. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and which is, I get that. A, PA. a wedding can be <laughs> extremely expensive. And sometimes, you know what? Whoopie pies are awesome. They were, they were, you know, different flavors and all that. And so sometimes people do cupcakes, but That's someone has to still make that. The caterer has to make, you know, the, the food for hors d'oeuvres. If it's a formal sit down, if it's a buffet, they are providing a service. The DJ is providing the musical service and I'm there setting up my keyboards, making sure it sounds right. And the most important area for me is to be the right amount of audio wallpaper and not be too loud because <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Belviachki wants to say hi to Mrs. You know Smith, yeah. Yeah. and they want to be able to just chit chat and all that stuff, and and they want to, that that's important. And I've been complimented a lot on that. You know what's good about you? Yeah. A- actually, um, Governor Corbett said you're not too loud, and that's that's an important thing because people is. just want to be able and, to chit chat. And there, artists, there are times when it has to be cranked with our art. Yeah. So you are an audio artist and you provide services, but you also play, you know, you said that you play the organ and now you're substitute and then you play weddings, but you also teach. Yes. And, you know, I found that as a common theme with so many artists is that one of the ways we really get the word out there and really expand our reach and really learn our craft is to teach. So we got art, we got product. Presentation, you're talking about the levels and being the perfect wallpaper. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great. How do you present your work and present this industry to students? Do you know what I mean? Yes. The goal that I have, and I, I will tell them a lot on the first day, is I have three things I'm promising you that you're going to get this material in a unique way. As in, I am an astronaut. I'm out there in space, the audio world working this, and I come in to talk to you. I'm not an astronomer who's guessing. I'm not an astrologer. I'm out there doing this. Right. You're, you're working I, on the spacecraft. Yes, you're I'm, not looking at it from a telescope. And I got to go back out there and make a living without crashing into the planet. That is so invaluable, that hands-on experience mm-hmm. conveying it to students. So... As we're doing all the different lessons, inevitably stories come up. Yeah. I said, I remember we did this and this happened. And because this happened a certain way, one that I like to talk about is one area that I used to do a lot more work with and not as much as AV tech. And that is setting up audio classrooms in hotels for doctors to, you know, take classes Oh, and like conferences. So conferences. Up, so we would, we would set up, you know, that we, we would set up the speakers 
lavalier microphone, a podium microphone, a PowerPoint with a computer, the screen, the projector, countdown clocks, all these sort of things. And we could give a lot of savings from what the hotels would charge. Yeah. And you're much more professional. Because we would you... stay there the whole time. The doctors got to know us. So one time we were doing, it was a veterinarian convention at the Sheraton in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And we had to tear down part of what we were doing because that space was going to be turned into a wedding that night. Okay. And we were going to move next door and just have like a big guest speaker. And, yeah. And we were going to be right through this airwall. And as I was carrying a powered speaker through one of the doors, the wedding cake was coming the opposite way. Oh, no. And I almost <laughs> took the wedding cake out. <laughs> And I was Microphone ready to in the wedding cake. fall Glad. down, almost break my speaker, whatever, because I did not want to go up to the bride's family <laughs> and say, yeah, you see I how we, we just direct your cake. So. <laughs> oh, that would have been the, funny. Th those are, uh, are the type of, you know, stories. So and part of that, you know, sadly, the um, sometimes hotels just get overbooked. Yeah. And you, you have to hustle to to their needs, not like. Geez, this, you know, okay, this needs to happen. We need to make this change. Well, and a lot of these smaller conferences or smart up comp startup conferences are really great opportunities for anybody that can provide this kind of service. Like mm -hmm. I just spoke at Art Biz Jam over in Philly and they had a volunteer running the audio through his laptop. And there's always technical problems. I know a lot of artists that speak. Mm -hmm. I just spoke to Don. Max about this and he was like oh every single time I have spoken there's audio and technical problems so you know getting a start in that would be a great way to it's an area that's so important and a lot of it's just advanced planning yeah and it gets a little more complicated because we would work sometimes with medical students yeah and most of the other doctors know bring your thing on a jump drive yeah and now the younger ones are like uh yeah my presentation's up on the web <laughs> So the problem job. is the computer that we are presenting with is not going to go on the web for one important reason, because if Microsoft decides it's time to do an update while your presenter that you flew in from California. Los Angeles, yeah, yeah we're all just going to wait for my, you know, so we would know, okay, that's going to go to another computer. And then also when you're in a, in a hotel, you never know how many kids on the third floor with their iPads <laughs> or streaming video games right. or Disney channels. And so it, it's really tough. Wireless. That's why that jump drive is just so important. It's, it's right and there. so communicating that mm -hmm. to the people, that's a great tip. Really, it's about planning mm -hmm. and communications. But what a great way to supplement an income and get extra experience. Sure. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of weekends we'd go, you know, you would set up on a Unload on a Friday, work all day Saturday, work Sunday. And then there was others that would go Thursday through Saturday. Yeah. And, and then one time, one year, years ago, we actually did a whole week in Vegas mm. for Dent Supply doing their sales training. Oh, interesting. So it was like I got paid to, you know, hang out in Vegas for a week. Yeah. And, you know, stay at, um, you know, a hotel and all that. So it was fun. Nice. So. Nice. So there's so many opportunities in audio. You don't just have to be just a musician you can do so many aspects of it right yes um in our area here 
it is very important because live is a lot more, there are a lot more options with live than with recording. Yeah. So, I mean, the big boys in the area are Claire Brothers mm-hmm. and Lidditz. They have pods actually set up for bands to come and put together their tour, test their tour, make sure everything works, and then you go. And You mean pods, those portable No, no, th- this is a warehouse. This is oh, a okay. warehouse that is <laughs> okay, roughly the sound. them in like one of those portable storehouse. No, this, this is actually a warehouse that's roughly the, sa- the size of a hockey arena. Oh, nice. So they know, okay, this is how it's going to be rigged. This is how we're going to move in and out. Because in, in, and in our industry, it's all about the out how you can pack it and get it out and, yeah. and all, so that when you come to the next place, you know where everything's at. Right. And it's, it's done properly. And so quite there are frankly, logistics for audio artists. Logistics. So that, so you have Claire brothers, uh, Anderson audio is also in the area. They do the white house mm. and, you know, I learned about like when they would go to the white house, they would have a truck and it had to go through a special garage that would x-ray the truck. Oh, wow. And then you would go to the White House and you would unload and you had to get that truck away. Yeah. And then, you know, the show ended at nine. You had to, like, tear everything down. That truck had to come out of parking, go through the x-ray one more time. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things when you're doing the security risk gig. You know, oh, that, wow. That's, yeah, you know, I never politics. thought about that. There's a whole, oh, my gosh, because that's, it, 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 it's something that, that that's very important and sensitive. has to be done the right way. So, yeah. From there, and then even just getting to play with different bars and bands, yeah, being able to mix what are called you know the monitors which are on stage, the front of house which is audio one, mm-hmm. all of those are, are, are aspects that you can do in audio. Then there's the artwork. That's what you specialize in. Yeah, on the visual end. And but you know, we I was showing you all these different album covers. I did an album cover a million years ago for a gentleman that played acoustic guitar. Oh, I have to look up. What, mm-hmm. what that was that was in one of my old portfolios and it was so much fun to do we went out and shot him with his beautiful red guitar i put him in a stream we did some special effects made all the background black and white and everything popped it just left the color in his eyes and on the guitar it was so cool so much and fun to so that art that, could be, that art could be used on the album cd jacket or some people are back to doing vinyl, which is nice, big pictures. Oh, yeah. But Vinyl's very, you know, it just has a special sound, and mm-hmm. it's become popular again, especially for the collectors, for the real audio heads, right? Yes. And even in addition to the audio, a lot of people shoot video so that art can be used at the front, the back end of the video. Yeah. So there's opportunity for visual artists to partner with audio artists. Mm-hmm. But as an audio artist, not only should you be playing gigs like, you know, churches and weddings, but you can mix the audio. But there's also the opportunity to have multiple products, is right for for sale at your gigs, right? So vinyl and CDs and and um, t-shirts, t-shirts and uh, MP3s and downloads, right? Hoodies, um, uh, hoodies skull yeah. caps. Oh, skull caps! That's a good idea. Yes. Yeah, a lot of people that the this is where I'm, I'm going to get into an area that's really tricky and frustrating. For most of us musical artists oh, right let's now. let's hear it. Let's hear it. Tips that, and tricks. We want them. Okay. You could play a gig. The band will be paid only so much from the venue. Right. Depending upon how many people they attract to pay the cover charge. You're going to 
probably sell very few CDs, very so, few vinyls, downloads. People are streaming a lot more. Mm-hmm. But your merchandise will probably make you the most money at, at a lot yeah. of different stops, depending upon where you're at and what's going on. Because, you know, we could actually have seen this. Right. So, And you want to make that as frictionless mm-hmm. as possible. You don't want to tell somebody, go to my website to get my CD because they'll forget. You want to have it right there on hand, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is what has become a challenge as I've seen my personal work with the studio starting in 85 and 90. When the internet started, it wasn't very much moving video. No one really had the pipe to stream on dial-up and DSL. Yeah. Once we got to YouTube happening and now video games, and you can play video games with people in other places, the value of wow i just want to re- i just want to download or buy this recording has slipped and eroded yeah you think and it's not appreciated as much yeah. absolutely because everyone's looking for you know a bargain when you play or you know if i'm going to sync your piece i, I want to do it affordably mm-hmm. and it, it's not quite the way it used to be so that that's a challenge for a musical artist because the streaming has become so popular now there is a new music act that has been signed and is going to make this better it's a step in the right direction so that streams so the artists are getting much more of the streaming revenue okay so actually that jumps us forward to licensing and contracts i'm not sure i want to go there quite yet but let's hit Mm -hmm. on it let's talk about royalties and licensing for just a brief second because that's part of the system is you've got to find your voice you got to make your art you got to find your voice You've got to have a product. You've got to have lots of products, revenue streams coming in. You've got to have a presentation that makes you stand out, a story, right? And then you've got to educate your audience as to that story, and you've got to get bigger through amplification. And one of the ways to do that is with royalties and licensing. Now, I know that you were talking earlier about your some of your new music being mm-hmm. perfect for reality shows and TV. That would be royalties and licensing, right? So that's yes. yet another revenue stream. On Liquid Voltage, the first cut is called Aqua. This is your new this, album, this new right? album. And when you play the piece of music, and you know, maybe we could even roll. You could roll this yeah, in the background totally. on on you know when you're when you're doing the show. That'd be great. Yeah, we'll um, put some in. Listen okay, for it, you guys. This is this is Aqua. <laughs> now you've been listening to Aqua. This just works. If you would have pictures of people on beaches, yeah, especially if you could be in California up, you know, because you, you have like those 100 foot cliffs, 200 foot cliffs, and then the oceans below, it mm-hmm. works for that. Brazil. So, this, so and, you've made a piece that really has a mood and fits with a theme, beach, yes. relaxation, right? I give you the illusion of swimming underwater. Oh, cool. And so you have that. And what also by accident happens is if you want to take pictures of galaxies and stars moving, yeah. it works for that as well. Okay. So, and how did you come up with this idea? How did you create this music for a theme, for an ambiance? It, it just started coming together. And it is, I, I actually have made a little recording about the album since all my music so you're telling um, stories yes well I, I told a story about each piece because they have no words right and this piece 
was written around this time of Christmas uh-huh. because uh, many years I'm asked to play piano on R.J. Harris's 580 show in the morning. Okay. It's called The Breakfast Show. Okay. And I, I take my keyboard in, and one of the things we do, which is great, is I play Christmas pieces, and people got to guess <laughs> what songs I'm playing. Do you play them in a different style? Oh, I, I play also, I start them in the middle. So, you know, everyone knows at the beginning, but if you start in the middle, that flips them out. They're worse. Oh. <laughs> and, and it bugs them because they know it. Yeah. But they don't know right now what this is. We so, know psychologically, people mm-hmm. remember the beginning and yes. the end. It's a weird phenomenon, but, you mm-hmm. know, something can be really, really good and then have a horrible ending. You're going to remember the horrible ending. Something yeah. can be really, really bad and have a good ending. You're going to remember the Always ending. Always finish strong. Yes. Yeah. So one year I was like doing, getting things prepared for this. And then the chords for Aqua started coming out and I was really upset. It's like, it's late at night. I still got to pick up these things. I, I still got to practice my pieces. And then I got to tear down my keyboard stored in my van because i got to be at the station at seven fifteen to play at eight but you wanted to catch it didn't you but it's like i got this idea i got to work on this right now and i remember making some notes you've got and, to catch you know, the gotta, muse when she comes yes it is so and sometimes when it comes at the runs i was like why now and so <laughs> you're right that, i know translated that and then the follow-up piece um borgus is latin styles the samba Ooh. and this was written for a friend of mine who like my father escaping from Slovakia, communist controlled, he escaped from Cuba. Oh, interesting. And it's very, very similar, you know, stories of trying to, you know, assimilate and all these sort of things. So you guys made a recording to I, try I just and made, that? I just wrote this piece as like in honor of it. Yeah. And, uh, but that was done in like 88 and it sat on the shelf. And then Dan Cabrera, one of my York interns comes in. And, you know, Cabrera, his dad was from Dominican Republic, and he, Dan himself, played auxiliary percussion in a Latin style, said, we're, we're doing this piece. Oh, cool. And then I got the musicians around us, and we finished it. And now that piece really, really works if you've got travel boats, um, like cruises. Yeah. Oh, well, that would be beach. a great, yes. that would be a great, like, yacht gig. Rock. Yes. Yacht rock. Yeah, is that, that a term? Would, exactly is that a real space. thing? Yacht rock? Yeah, it, it's just music <laughs> that you would enjoy in your bare feet on a boat or a beach. Uh, and it's kind of more mellow and it, you know, it, it goes there. So now my job is to meet some video producers. And you're going to introduce me to one, which would yeah, be great. Yeah, yeah. And say, here's my pieces. If they fit, great. If not, pass it on to someone else. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah, and, totally. And, and a couple kids' pieces we did, which would be great for kids' video games. So we've been talking about story behind stuff. And that, you know, we're going to jump back now to educating your audience with story. I'm finding again and again on all these interviews that having a story behind your artwork, behind your products, is what connects you to the audience and really helps you stand out from the crowd and sell your work. But you're not a visual artist. You're an audio artist. Now, you've just told us some of those stories, but how do you convey them? How do you, you know, do you do write-ups on these discs? Do you have a website? Like, how do you share those? What do you well, find works? On Liquid Voltage, I actually put an old track on there called... Is it like an audio track where you talk and you tell the stories? Yes. Cool. 
I called it liquid voltage deciphered. I forgot how the phrase I did. Yeah, yeah. But um, we I brought in Lisa Campbell to kind of set questions, and uh-huh. then I kind of answered them, and it came very much like an NPR type situation. So like an interview. Yeah. On your CD. Mm-hmm. I love it. And that that so that especially since it's all instrumental work. Yeah. It, you know, and and here's the the other thing that is neat about an instrumental piece. And I actually had a friend, Joe, in Philadelphia, he would do this. He never gave titles to his pieces that were instrumental. He gave them like serial numbers. Because uh-huh. when you listen to the piece, okay, that I'm thinking of a beach. Right. No, no, this other person's thinking about snowboarding. Yeah. And it's not wrong that their mind was taken to snowboarding by the music. So by not putting a title on there, it's like whatever works for you. When you listen, it's fine. Yeah. I think that's a great idea, too, even with visual arts. Like, I have these um, abstract Enso paintings that I've been doing for a couple of years. And somebody just wrote me the other day and said, I see a um, horseshoe crab. Never heard that one before, but Uh awesome, you know? So, yeah. And say you're playing, like, at the organ or at a wedding. Do you stop to, you know, kind of talk about a piece or introduce it a little bit? Doing the hors d'oeuvres, I don't know. Right. I, I'm just playing one piece at another time. Sometimes some people I haven't seen, they come over and they say hi. Yeah. And I feel obligated to stop, shake their hand, especially if I know well, them yeah, very well. Yeah, you want to connect so, with yeah, them. Yeah, we do that or, or else I just say, hey, I'll talk to you in 20 minutes. You know, that, that, right. Let right. me finish, get through this because once the DJ starts, right. I got all kinds of time. Right. Um, and it, in church, no, everything's very formal. That, well, the that church, to... the preacher is kind of given the story yes. by associating it with his lecture or his sermon, mm-hmm. right? And that, most, most of the church things I do are, are not original pieces. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm just, you know, they have a story built into them for oh, the, the person. There's definitely a, a message and a lesson for each day in the liturgical calendar. And you have to match that up a right, certain way. Right. Yeah, there, there are definitely guidelines for that. Yeah. I was just at Longwood Gardens, and they have an organist there, and he would stop in between each piece and introduce it, but not much story. And I wanted more story. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I, I like a good story. I like a good yarn. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, that leads us to amplification, getting bigger, automating. And, well, heck, you're all about amplification, right? Mm-hmm. So, You've got all these different projects. What do you find is the best tip or the best trick for just growing and not getting overwhelmed? Mm -hmm. What I find is to figure out what areas of social media you feel comfortable with Mm. and you could use in in a good way. For me, Facebook and LinkedIn have Mm -hmm. been the two that, you know, I, I primarily use. Yeah. And... With Facebook, you have to be kind of careful you don't oversaturate some situations. You don't want to give it all away. Well, not so much give it away, but uh, there's the seventh post about his concert coming on Sunday. Oh, right. You know, there's a certain balance to how much you do, and you have to put them in. And, you know, you don't start two days ahead of time. You start weeks ahead of time, whenever you can, so that people can still put it in their calendar. They're busy. Yeah, what's your schedule like for posting? Like you start like three weeks out, once a week? Yes, uh, usually we'll do at least a week, if not two weeks, is what I recommend when we start when something's coming up. Yeah. If it's something even more intense and major, we talked a lot about that Halloween project 
with Craig's at different times. I, I even like did quick little uploaded videos. Hey, we finished this part today. Teasers. Give it a listen. Teasers. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, hey, here's another picture of some more people came in. Check out all the zombies. And the, all these people came in and all they did was do zombie sounds. <laughs> and they, they had a blast. And it was so hard because they were so good. I had to hide my face behind this video monitor so they didn't see me laughing. And then they would start laughing. <laughs> that was that was a problem. Brian, and it worked Brian. out because I was like, oh, this sounds good. I got great zombies. <laughs> and so like, okay, look, you know, those are zombies. And Did you hey, post some zombie stories. sounds on Facebook? Well, there were zombie sounds in one of the main songs on this album was called um, Zombies on the Run. Okay. And so you hear the zombies at the beginning, you hear the zombies at the end. Yeah. And, um, you know, along with, you know, different sound effects. And we basically had this 911 zombie crisis where, you know, you just, we had every fire engine and sirens <laughs> and people, my um, cousin, Chris and her so you're family building a came story all and, around this song. And they're all they did was scream like standards, you know, being scared of zombies. <laughs> so they were the zombies, you know, screaming family. That you know, sounds like fun to record. Uh, th this one, as soon as he pitched it, a light bulb went off. I'm gonna have this is gonna be great. Um, he had a song where there was the phrase was don't fall into the moat. I had to take my portable recorder out to the swimming pool and throw myself into the pool. <laughs> In different ways, so it sounded like you were falling into a moat. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it was. I was like, I'm, I'm doing this. Do? Going, this is this is ridiculously fun, you <laughs> know. And I get to do this. It's been my goal with all these interviews, all the research I've been doing, my whole academic career, to figure out how to make money with your art. And I imagine that that's probably what you're trying to do too, right? We all want to do something that we love for a living. Yeah? Totally. Who wouldn't? Who wants a dead-end job? So, after all this research and all these interviews, I've discovered four secrets. The four top secrets to making money with your art. And now, I have a 12-page report outlining the four top secrets to making money with your art. You can download this guide for free at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. That's right, I got that domain name. So just head on over to howtomakemoneywithyourart.com, all spelled out, no numbers, and get your free report on how to make money with your art. We were talking and you mentioned repurposing content for other things. Yes. And I really think that's the ticket to not getting overwhelmed when you're trying to amplify is taking your stuff and reusing it in different ways. So not just having multiple revenue streams and doing different things, but then layering that into your social media. So, you know, taking pictures of the zombies or little mm -hmm. snippets and, oh, this person came in and that person came in. So, like you said, not overwhelming people with just constant posts about this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, but instead being like, check out these little teasers mm -hmm. of little things we're doing for this thing that is coming. One of the things that I talk to my um, students, when we, especially at Hack, 
or when we do our uh, music computer apps course, which is really about tips on how to use a computer to create new music. Right, right. Said, if you get a, using like if you get a work for hire, yeah, which is someone says we need a jingle, or you're gonna we need a piece of music for this video. Yeah. What I suggest first is don't write the whole thing. Write kind of like you've done animation, a wireframe. A pitch. You make an audio wireframe, which is a piano, a drum beat, and maybe a bass. And it's like, this is the direction I want to go with. Right. But don't do just one of them. Do two or three of them. Mm -hmm. And that way they have a choice. Mm -hmm. And then one of them's like, that's the one that really fits. Yeah. And then the other ones, okay, they can be repurposed for something else down the road. Oh, you yeah. can make them your own song. Someone else can say, we're, we're looking for something and say, wait a minute. Okay, I'll get back to you. And then you show them that piece again. Yeah. But what you want to avoid when you're doing in the pitch process is to go too far into it to make everything sound absolutely perfect and then to find out that's not what we want. Yeah. You know, I interviewed um, an illustrator. He's an amazing, amazing artist, oil painter, illustrator. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about the commission process. And I saw this also with a, an illustrator who does pencil sketches, um, Owen Garrett. He does these huge commissions for oil barons mm -hmm. of antique mining equipment. And they want this mining it, equipment with um, this thing over here in this location with this car and this, that, and the other thing. He does composites. He does like a composite in Photoshop. So you're almost talking about like almost like an audio composite. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to catch the mood, right? Yes. But then you're talking about using those to pitch other places. And I've heard this also talked about in like writing. So write the hook, you know, come up with the theme, mm -hmm. which, you know, the style, and then see which one resonates with them. I love that. So, and then reuse those for other clients. Sure. What's so neat about today's computer-based composition software, I happen to use Logic 10 works very well but you can then go and do what's called creative muting oh yeah just turn all the drums off and now listen to the piece oh and, okay let's just have the bass and a piano play by itself or the bass play with the drummer and nothing else so suddenly you've got the same tempo same key and a video producer has got another option because your piece has got to start off big in video it's got to end big in the video but in the middle, you might go to B-roll. You may go into a yeah. behind-the-scenes situation. If you can give them three to six alternative mixes of your piece, yeah, right away they've got something to work with. That's you, much that's multi infinite person uh, probabilities. That's yes. infinite the way you mix it. Then, if you can turn mm -hmm. things off, that's great. And you record everything in separate tracks, right? Everything in separate tracks, and then you just pick and choose. Yeah. Um, you know, separate tracks, and there it is. Yeah, so you could have, however, oh, the probabilities are endless. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So that does lead us to licensing and contracts. What are some of the most important licensing tips or tricks you could give our audience? Or what are the most important contracts that everybody should have? It is just so important to have good contracts in hand because they protect you, they protect mm -hmm. the clients. Let's talk about contracts first. What you probably want to do is sit down with 
an attorney, and you could probably even get template contracts on the internet. You can, you can. And there's actually and, some and free resources from attorneys. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was that website? There's a website of all attorneys that help artists for free. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll have to find it and post it with the um, links. Look for it down below, you guys. It's artists um, and attorneys contracts. So um, some of my AV tech projects, um, they're, I'm, I'm given a contract, must show up at a certain time, have right. to have certain go on. So, um, you know, you you want to put those things in. So make you want to sure define. In that situation, you want to be make sure you're being reimbursed for your mileage. Okay, yeah. If you have to do a hotel, mm-hmm. they're going to take care of that. Food. Oh, yeah. And then it's, you know, do we have equipment you have? Great, you can rent it. No, they're after a different piece of gear so that has to be rented so you want to make okay. sure you're covered that way um when you're doing something creative and music wise so for an event have, it was called you know a work for hire that's temporary and you maintain the ownership of the piece of music or it's like nope we're gonna buy it right out we want to do that we we i was surprised we did a piece and several little bumpers for a radio production in Texas, uh-huh. and they're like, "No, we we want the full thing." So the copyright. They they wanted to own it completely. They did not want to find out that two or three years from now, I'm renting it to someone else. Well, that's licensing. Yes. So you, as the artist, whether you be a visual artist or an audio artist or something in between, own the copyright to your piece. Right? It's I believe right now mm-hmm. it's life of the artist plus seventy five years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can either rent the copyright to somebody and then repurpose that and use it elsewhere or put it on products. That's how you get royalties that you license it to a manufacturer and you hopefully get bigger or you sell the copyright outright, which is a bit more dangerous because you don't get reoccurring revenue from Mm -hmm. it. So you really got to ask for a good price, right? We asked for the higher price and we want no problem with that. A check showed up two weeks later. Thank you. And, so you put that right in the contract, yes. that option. Do I, you I want to own the options, copyright or? A, a smaller amount of money. And then within mm-hmm. two to three years, we have the option to re-rent it to someone else. Or you could renew. Or here is about four times the amount of money. Mm-hmm. And you own it. And we're going to just forget that we ever did this. Other than to use it as a reference for PR. Yeah. And then... um. And that's what they chose. So in the contract, you put that you can use the you can use a snippet from it as um, a promotional material. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, in all licensing contracts, you do have to have a time limit. So you got to define the amount of time that they can use that piece. Mm -hmm. And that's standard with visual, too. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. What you have to realize is when you write a piece of music and you start out, you are the composer and the publisher yeah and if you decide like i use sherry mullen she's with music fortress she is my publisher Mm -hmm. because she has much more time to be passionate about searching out to get my music placed but she's also very handy and good at writing the contracts for music synchronization that i i don't want to do right so that way i yield to that she is pretty much and I mean, even still, I, I'm doing some of the searching and finding, but if we land something, Sherry has to be done. She takes it from there. Yeah. So and having somebody here. that knows contracts yes. is invaluable. I have an attorney. I can't recommend highly enough 
that mm-hmm. reviews my licensing contracts. But in understanding those terms yourself is also oh, yes. critical. Yeah, you don't want to just go blind and say, yeah, whatever, I don't have time. No, why did we choose to do that? And then, you know, yeah. does this make sense? And then, you know, asking questions. But yeah, um, that- in the visual arts, we call it exclusivity. So the actual he- heading would be, you know, the exclusivity <laughs> and you define actually a region that it can be published in, North America, the U.S., you know, that type of thing, as well as the term, you know, and whether they have exclusive rights. Is that what mm-hmm. they call it in audio? Exclusivity? Like it would mean, it would mean it starts with I'm the, the word, only one allowed to use it ever. Yeah, there would be the word exclusive would be in there. Um, a lot of these, are, it starts with, this is a work for hire. Okay. And then from there, uh, you know, if it's going to be exclusive, that right. is, you know, would be in there as what would happen with what we did in, you know, the, the piece from Texas. Okay. And then other than that, it's just um, uh, the, we have the ability for additional synchronization. But we'll, we'll let you use it for like two years exclusive. And But after that, you know. So synchronization, can you define that term? Synchronization is what I'm about to try to do with a lot of my music from Liquid Voltage. And that's your new you album. Yeah. your friend from Discover. Yeah, yeah. I have an audio artist friend. Yes. Who, okay. So that person says. And now oh. another. <laughs> I'm sorry. And now another. Yes. There you go. So let's just say uh, there's two I'm thinking of. Aqua could work for a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. And Aqua, I have a friend of mine from high school, believe it or not, works for NASA. Cool. And NASA, every, they have a NASA channel. And when they don't have any new content, what do they do? They show you the space station and what it's looking at today oh really aqua would work perfectly for that so hopefully so i would call my s- friend and say hey somewhere in your department there's someone who makes this decision can i talk with them and then say love to have this i think this so you would synchronize point. your audio yes. with the video coming from the space shuttle or the space station, yes. and being streamed through NASA's... And it would be on TV. Oh, that'd be so, so that'd cool. be neat. Um, the other things you could do is some of those pieces I have would work great on the Weather Channel. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Beach scenes. Um, they, they do documentaries. Uh-huh. They, you know, but they also just like, you know, your your weather on the 8s or whatever they are. Yeah. And um, that, that some people would be offended by that. That wouldn't bother me. Having no. music on the Weather Channel that wouldn't bother me at all. No. Well, you get royalties from yes. it, right? But see, then the difference is the royalties on something like that versus right now that show Young Sheldon okay. on on CBS. Okay. The royalties from that are astronomically higher well, than yeah, what you would get from something else. It's going to depend it's a on, network show. on popularity and how many viewers they yes. have. You know, I guess what you're referring to is maybe the idea of selling out. I'm making air quotes mm-hmm. here. Selling out. But... If you want to make a living as an artist, there's no such thing as selling out. I, I had this talk with my stu- my students when we were talking. Um, the whole idea, I think we used it earlier today about um, comparing yourself that you were like a caterer. Yeah. And you're, and it's the same thing. You're like a plumber. You've got a service. Yeah. And there is, if your music can get put into action, and I mean this whole, oh woe is me, I'm a pure artist and I don't want to see my works done that i mean get over that i mean that <laughs> uh, i don't especially when you're starting out 
do everything wherever it can be used whatever you can do and you know this is something i have to explain to a lot of my students you're going to need to hustle you're going to be able to need to work as a stage crew person if you you know helping a band with with this situation and the contacts you make i have some really good musical friends who work the hershey shows as stage crew yeah they unload trucks they help set up the shows and there's a certain point where the traveling audio engineers take over and you're done. Right. And but then you, get you it show started. up and then you, you, you help to pack the show and get it out of there and get another one. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing that sort of work. There's nothing wrong. I mean, you can't be above. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's associated. You know, I interviewed Maria Brophy, who is the wife and licensing agent of um, Drew Brophy who is this incredible surfboard artist, his work has been on hundreds, literally hundreds of products. And he signs every single piece. He signed every single surfboard he ever painted. He's got his start painting surfboards and he would sign every one. And that got his name out there. Mm-hmm. He's got his art on, you know, board shorts and and now wine glasses and all this stuff. And that generates revenue. She was telling me that one of his pieces this little eight by ten painting has generated them over a quarter of a million dollars in royalties, and that you know they didn't expect this piece to be the one that took off. So I think you have to have your work everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can't say, "Oh, that's you know, that's not for me because I don't think it's cool." Now I do think the products ought to relate somehow. Obviously, mm-hmm. they have to come together in some way. But yeah, I don't think there's such a thing as selling out. Mm. Mm-mm. You got to make a living, and it is work. Yes, yes. The 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 time to create when when you look at how much time we put into the Halloween project. Yeah. I was explaining this to people. It's just like how many hours would you say you put in? See, even before I put it in, it's Craig who had to create everything. Yeah, and he brought in, and he was extremely well organized. Mm-hmm. I could show you a binder of here are the words with chords. Here are what the skits are going to say. And then it's highlighted. I want background singers doing this. I want the sound effect. He had to get all of that in his mind out on paper mm-hmm. so that we could see what needed to happen. Because communication and is key. That is absolutely. And then so all those many years of Ryan France playing bass, playing bass, playing bass, to just come in and not even think about so much playing bass, but how to attack and present the bass part so it matched. And how we were going to engineer it and how all the pieces were going to, you know, match up. Yeah. It just goes into it and it's like, okay, here it is, $10. And then you're hoping, you know, and a lot of people, no problem, $10, I like it. And there's still some people like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. So that that's kind of the challenge we have right now with original music. Yeah. And we're trying to get, look, there's a lot that went into this. Yeah. Support your local artist. Yeah. And that leads us to S for success. So we've got art, product, presentation, educating through stories. I mean, it's really important to educate Mm -hmm. your audience with stories, amplifying, getting bigger, licensing, and success. So how do you have success as an artist? How do you define success? You know, one of my problems is that I go, 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 and this might, you know, be weird, but I don't often stop to celebrate Mm-hmm. what I've done, right? And if you don't reward yourself or celebrate your successes and share them, 
then it can really grind you down. So how do you define your success? How do you celebrate those successes? You know what I mean? What I emphasize to my students at some point during the semester is when the microphone's turned on, when you're on stage, you are king, you are in charge. And it's the most beautiful thing to let your art flow, do what you're going to do. Yeah, when that's the microphone the turns off, the when you walk off the stage, remember who you are. Mm. If you can get that down, that helps with ego. Yeah. It helps with not getting involved in substance control, Ooh. substance problems. Rather, you have substance control. You because think that's the, that's the underlying thing? Oh, yeah, overpowering, too much drinking, too many drugs. So much of that becomes because of anxiety. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna, you know, so you get over the stage fright mainly by practicing yeah. and doing that. That gets you through that. Teaching, yeah. Um, I mean, I get nerves when I get up and teach, but after you've done it a hundred times. Yeah, after I just kind of stand up there and, and go for it. So that, that to me is, is a part of success that you could, you could take on your day, take on the challenges of performing. And a lot of it's just, I gotta be honest, I needed to practice that some more. Yeah. And once, once you Being practice your yourself. art. And all of us, you know, right now you're you're interviewing me right before Christmas. Teaching's done for the fall. This is a very slow time for the studio because holidays, people are doing other things. Yeah. And so this is the great time to do some repairs, mm-hmm. do some cleanup, get some organization, and then just really list um, some pieces that I want to learn on piano and, and what I want to do for marketing. And that's not your next year. Yes. So... You have to have, you know, how much, how are you going to do your marketing? How are you going to get out there and do that nasty word called sales? <laughs> and it's not a nasty word because what you're doing is you are pitching a service that someone needs. And we, once you, once people understand that, then it's not like, oh, geez, you're another insurance salesman. No, it's way different. Oh, this yeah. is, this, this is something. It's not sleazy. They, sales are not it, sleazy. Yeah. If it's done the right way, absolutely not. I think we as artists have to change our mindset about sales. Sales is not sleazy. It's about sharing a story and connecting with someone. And if you can give them something, a story that gives them a feeling, Mm -hmm. give them a song that gives them a feeling, tells them a story, reminds them of an experience and a feeling, and you've done them a service, like you said. A couple other things. Yeah. I talk to them a lot, especially in the music industry and, and with guitarists. It's called gear lust. Gear you, lust. You have to watch. Well, that's, I, I need another guitar. Uh-oh. I need another pedal. <laughs> we have photographers. I, I, we yeah, have yeah, photographers. <laughs> I need lens. Oh, uh, yeah. that, my, my green screen looks old. You if know, I all, just all those things. Get... So there, there's a certain balance. And one of the big things I tell them about is eBay. Because uh... I wish I had eBay when I was starting. Yeah. It, you could just really pick and choose. And if you're not using gear, by all means, sell it. Yeah, don't you know, hoard it. And if you could, you know, figure out a situation, like if you could rent versus owning, I'm I'm literally at this point now when my van dies, I'm going small car and just renting a van or a truck when I need it. You know, the um the money people on like like line, like mm-hmm. Dave Ramsey's, he always talks about that. Like, don't spend ten thousand to buy an asset. 
yeah. when you can rent it for a hundred bucks for sure. the weekend. It feels more painful mm-hmm. shelling out a couple hundred bucks on a weekend as but if it's just sitting in your driveway. Yes. That's like we, we always had a pickup truck when we were doing the construction around here because you know, we wore out two Home Depot cards building this place. Oh wow. And we went to lumber auctions and we needed a truck. All those times. Well, right now we don't. It's handy to move some firewood around, but you know, U Haul for nineteen dollars a day and a few extra, that's mm-hmm. not bad at all. Yeah. You know, sweep it out real good, return it. They're like, no questions asked, great. So save Ver- money by renting versus rather than a buying a two to four hundred dollar pickup truck with the insurance and all that. Yeah. And it's the same thing that I'm gonna do with my next van, you know, when I I, I get a project and I need that because I'm just doing less of them now. Right. So, you know, those those are some important things. Save money when you can um, and do investments. That is tough. But if you can get started earlier, mm-hmm. uh, that makes a big difference down the road. Or if you have an asset, rent it out. Yes. Make sure it's being used all the time. You know, printers know this. They run their print machines 24 hours a day because if that machine's not working... They, they paid hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of dollars for that giant printer. If that machine's not working, it's not making them money, right? So if you've got an asset, rent mm-hmm. it out. If you're not using the asset, sell it. I love that advice. Don't get gear lost. Yeah, mm-hmm. we get that. Yeah. <laughs> gear lost, yeah. Mm-hmm. With computers, all that good stuff. And, you know, with, with the ego, just work to maintain, you know, friendships with mm. your fellow musicians, your fellow artists. Find ways that you could do gigs together. Um, that's a big thing now where if you have a band with a similar style, they um, team up and they'll play in my town. We'll go to your town. Oh, and, yeah, trade. Uh, yeah. Oh, trade whenever you can. Bartering. Oh, yeah? Absolutely. Bartering helps. Oh, yeah. My dad was an Italian lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> he did a lot of barter. I had a really bad haircut in high school because of it. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, awesome. I want to close out this interview by just asking you if there are a couple of books or resources that you find invaluable and you would recommend. If I could be so bold as to push my book. Yeah, please yes, do. It's called Focus in Your Light. Okay. And if you, like, you've now come and seen the studio, well, we described how we built it, but yeah. going back to the stories we talked about earlier about me crawling in the pipe organ and all this sort of yeah. thing. But there's takeaways at the end of every chapter. Yeah. So an entrepreneur, this is really good for someone who wants to be an entrepreneur or someone who's studying business, especially at the master's level. Find your light. Focus on your light. Focus on your light. Yeah. So, and we're finishing the audio version of it. Oh, great. And there will be a lot more. We'll be talking about that because we're going to go into the whole audio book field. Um, it's being dedicated to one of my students, Jonathan Gutierrez, who's blind. And oh. the audiobooks for people with vision challenge is just so meaningful. And he um he's gonna be the first voice you hear. Oh of, yeah. this is what I learned from Joe, and this is what you're gonna learn from this book. Yeah. And podcasting, you know, podcasting is a great way to reach people, whether mm-hmm. they be audio visually impaired or not. I mean, I listen to podcasts when I'm cleaning the house or going to the gym. And it's a great way to learn. That's something an audio technician could do, too, is remix podcasts for mm-hmm. people, right? Sure. I mean, you really got to think outside the box, right? Absolutely. Podcasting is, you know, I, I've kicked around doing one myself. 
Yeah. This is actually you're the, the second one. I just did one with Dave Brixius. Okay. And so it, it, it's a neat area because it's so unique. Yeah. You could customize it, customize it just the way you want. And then it's really up to you how you want to build it. Yeah. And, you know, like you're saying, you, you've got your audio person who will edit and put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put it out there and you can take snippets from it. You can take quotes mm-hmm. from it and put them on top of visuals. Yes. Use them on your social media. Like we were talking about with repurposing content in your mm-hmm. book, you'll be able to take snippets from it. Tell us just a little bit more about the book as we wrap up. What is the focus of the book and what are some of the chapters? There's one of the most important chapters is I've got a fever of 103. And uh-huh. I got very sick 2003 September. So based on experience. So I, I got, I ended up with pneumonia and it was so comp- bad. Ooh. They weren't sure I had pneumonia. Then you had pneumonia and I ended up in the hospital. Oh dear. And it was at a time when business was a little slow. Fortunately, I had a lot of my credit things in a good enough shape that we got through this little crisis. Because I was so sick, I thought I was going to lose everything. Oh, my geez. mind was just... I, so I was making myself even more sick. And then once Worrying. we got on through, so I, I basically laid all this, what I learned from the experience and what I changed and how I did some more diversification. And one of the things that came out of that was do more AV tech with a friend of mine. Mm. And that, that was, that was going to be additional revenue. There's so nothing that, like a life-threatening yes, illness to uh, put things in perspective. That, that, that was a wake up. Um, the other thing that I do is called Fire Up Now, where I go to high schools and colleges encouraging students to build a career and build a business. And the presentations are about 5% on what I've done, but 95% on what you think you would like to do with me as giving some suggestions and directions to go. Yeah, I'm not sitting there telling you to do it this way or that way. I'm just saying from my experience, here are some areas that you want to Focus in as an internship, as a part-time job, as something to investigate so that you can go out and be successful. And when I'm doing the fire-up presentations, um, the students just light up. They get all fired up. They absolutely do because fire-up now is F-U-N. It's fun because you're doing something you really like. But my guarantee and my promise to teachers and administrators, your students and the people who attend this, will be much better alumni, guaranteed. Yeah, you've got to be enthusiastic about what you do. And there's so many different ways and mediums that you can do in the creative fields. But I really think it's all about finding your voice with your art, presenting a product, having lots of different products, presenting them in the best light, educating your audience with story, amplifying your outreach, licensing and contracts, and then how do you have success, you know, plan it out. Mm-hmm. Plan it out. Absolutely. It sounds like you've really done that. You're man after my own heart. <laughs> I love it. We're on the same soapbox. Absolutely. So we, we're going to have to do this again in the future. I'd love to. Get some alternative subjects. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, as I was saying, I'm happy that some of the people that I suggested you want to interview, I think would be great. I'm glad that you're doing a podcast like this that really digs into artists' minds who the are actually doing it. Yeah. And making it work. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Well, that's it for the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed recording it. I just love talking with all these artists and business people. It's phenomenal. And I've learned so much. 
I hope you've learned something too. You can get more information. You can check out some of the links that we talked about in these podcasts at theartistappeals.com. That's theartistappeals.com. Thanks and have a good one.